If you have a Bible with you, you can open to Psalm 67. The text is also printed in the bulletin for you. Um, sort of coming back uh, from uh, a bit of time off, one of my friends in the presbytery, a pastor who lives up in the Seattle area, uh, asked me, uh, how was your sabbatical? I hope you had a good time. <laughs> and uh, it's like, well, it's more like a medical leave because uh, my wife's been ill. <clears throat> uh, but you were very gracious to uh, allow me a month off from preaching and uh, really felt uh, a lot of relief from that and from your support and your care for us and the meals that you brought us and uh, cards that you've made and given to us and stuff. So uh, thank you. And uh, at the same time, I'm also happy to be back. And I'm excited to get back into the series uh, in the Psalms that we've been uh, going through for some months now. For some of you, it feels like longer. But uh, um, we're on Psalm 67 this morning. So uh, let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we need your help every time we come to your word. Uh, if, if we're not to close our ears and our hearts to you, um, we need your spirit's help. So we pray that you would help us not just to understand your word, but to be receptive to it and to be changed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad. And sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, as I said, is sort of introductory in this... Uh, this week's newsletter, uh, letting you know we'd be talking about Psalm 67. Um, it, it's a song that uh, it riffs off of uh, some ancient biblical themes, some of the major themes that we find running through all the scriptures. If you're familiar with the scriptures, you're probably familiar with the language of this psalm. Uh, even if you haven't ever read this psalm, uh, you'd recognize language from other parts of the Bible. The psalm opens with the very language uh, in that first verse of the the Aaronic blessing, not the ironic blessing, the Aaronic blessing. So the blessing that, uh, that God told Aaron, the great high priest Aaron and, and all his sons and the priestly uh, cast in Israel to, to use this blessing on the people, to bless God's people this way. It's the benediction which the family of priests were to pronounce over all of God's people as they, as priests, uh, mediated the relationship <clears throat> that, that God's people had with him. They facilitated that relationship between God and his people. So here's the language, and this is familiar to us because we use it as one of our benedictions regularly. <clears throat> it says in uh, Numbers chapter 6, um, it says the Lord in the English Bible, uh, all caps Lord, it, it's Yahweh, it's his personal name, so I'm just going to read it that way. So uh, it says Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying... Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, Yahweh bless you and keep you. 
Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. I will bless them. So it isn't just that, um, that God's people, us, you know, the people who are seeking after God or seeking God's favor, it's not just that we want to be blessed. Maybe if God's in a good mood or if he seems amenable to the idea, uh, he'll bless us. Maybe. That's what we want. Right? Um, no, the, the blessing was God's idea from the very beginning. And, and he said he would do it. He said, this is how you bless the people of God, and I'll bless them. So what was the, uh, I mean, he's, he's been blessing his people and promising blessing to them throughout the history of his dealing with, with people. So the, the very first thing, what's the very first thing that God does after creating people in his image? Genesis chapter 1, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And that same uh, thing is, is sort of uh, in the recap of, of creation in Genesis 5. It says the same thing. God created man, male and female, in his own image, and he blessed them. So it's significant, right? And we, sh- we find him blessing people all throughout the scriptures. But it means from the very beginning, God's fundamental disposition toward people is one of blessing us and wanting to bless us and promising to bless us and doing it. It's his fundamental disposition toward people. Even after his image-bearing creatures, that's us, we're made in God's image for relationship with him and one another in self-giving love. Even after we've rebelled against him, even though we define ourselves by our sin against him, he's still looking to bless people. He does that with Noah. The first thing he does after the flood, when he's reestablishing Noah and the human race, the new creation, the first thing he does is bless them. And one of the most significant moments in the Bible um, that I think has bearing for our passage is when God called Abram in Genesis chapter 12. It says that Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, in the blessed one, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God promised to bless Abram and his family so that all the families of the earth would be blessed. Not just for the sake of Abraham and his family, but for the sake of all the world, because God wants to bless all the world, and he does it through his chosen people. <clears throat> this has been God's plan all along to bless all the peoples of the earth by blessing his particular chosen people. <clears throat> and uh, he starts small. I mean, you see it in the garden. He starts with just two people. He starts with just one family. He starts small and he goes big. In fact, he starts with pretty much nothing. That's sort of how he rolls. He, he makes everything out of nothing. He starts with nothing, and he goes really big. That's how he does things. That's his M.O. That's his way. That's his way. <clears throat> These are the things that the psalmist is meditating on 
as he writes his song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. He's invoking that ironic blessing. So that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Bless us by having a relationship with us. That's, that's the substance of that blessing, that he would be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Instead of hiding his face from us, that he would, he would show his beaming smile to us. Bless us by having a relationship with us by your grace so that all people everywhere would be blessed in the same way, in knowing you. So the essence of the blessing that we're asking for here with Psalm 67, the essence of it is a relationship with God that we would want to share with others. Holding those things together. A relationship with God that we would delight to share with others so that they also would come to know him just as we have come to know him as a gift of his grace. Now, uh, right at this point, the agnostic, understand what that word means, we've talked a little bit about Gnosticism, knowledge-based religion, right? Uh, secret knowledge. Uh, it comes from that Greek word gnosis for knowledge. Well, agnostic means no knowledge, right? Against knowledge, uh, antithetical <clears throat> to knowledge. We can't have knowledge. So the agnostic objects that we're talking about impossibilities here. God being known, God can't be known. You can't know God. The agnostic is right from one angle. We can't reason our way to a true understanding of who God is. We can't start from our position here and, and work our, our way with our intellect, with what's available to us. We can't work our way to a rational, reasonable, logical knowledge of who God really is. We can't do that for a lot of reasons, and I'm not going to get into it. <clears throat> I'd say bring it up in sermon discussion, but we're not having that. Sorry. Ask me whenever you'd like. <clears throat> um, from, from one angle, the agnostic's right. You can't make your way to a relational knowledge of God from, from your, your own vantage point. But the agnostic is ultimately wrong because that's not the way that it works. That's not the way that God has left us just to scrap together our own theology or our own understanding or our own relationship with him. God has made himself known. God has made himself known. He's revealed himself to us. We have his own word on the matter of what it, what it means to know him and have a relationship with him. And the ultimate self-disclosure that he's made is his word come in the flesh. It's, it's God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ. So the triune God, we're talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the God who reveals himself to us in the scriptures, in the gospel. The God who makes himself known. He, he has made himself known to us as the one whose very eternal existence from before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, before there was anything but God, his, his very eternal existence consists of relational knowing. Not just an abstract intellectual thing, but people in relationship. That's what the one true God, that's his very nature. In himself, he is the, the knower and the known one in glorious personal mutual Knowledge, And that's what it means for the Father and the Son to be relating to one another in the Holy Spirit. 
So the agnostic objection that God cannot be known is ultimately actually shown up to be a resistance. It's a resistance to the God who, whose very being means no ability. Resistance to the God who has very clearly made himself known in the gospel. It's very easy to, to, to read and to hear and to think about, have, have uh, thoughts about God as he has revealed himself to be. And the agnostic is resisting that. So this God, <clears throat> this God can and does answer the prayer of Psalm 67 to bless us and others by making himself known to us for a relationship. So in an important sense, this psalm is a prayer that God would overcome our natural tendency to want to just hoard his blessings for ourselves. That's, I think, a huge aspect of uh, this psalm and this as a prayer song. Uh, and this was a huge problem for the people of Israel, their natural tendency to want to hoard his blessings for themselves as a nation. And it's not a, a problem that's, it, it's, it's a problem that's familiar to us as well, but, but um, you read about it in the scriptures a lot. The people of Israel preferred to see themselves as the center of God's attention in self-exalting ways and in exclusive ways. So they disdained the nations. Here you've got a God who says, I'm going to bless you so that you'll bless the nations, all the nations. And instead they disdained the nations. You think of the prophet Jonah as one of our favorite prophets to think about. He's called to preach God's word to Nineveh. And he was resentful at God. He was angry at God for being gracious to those pagans. He was angry because he knew who God was. <clears throat> because, he, because God's revealed himself to the people of Israel and to Jonah. And he knew he was going to be gracious to these people out here who he didn't think deserved grace. And, um, and so he's angry and resentful and bitter towards God. Because he ultimately was self-exalting and exclusive about the blessings that he had received from God. And if you think of the Jews in Jesus' day crowding the Gentiles out of the temple. You know, you've got the, the temple, you've got the inner parts that are, uh, you know, the, the Holy of Holy uh, is, Holy of Holies is the place where uh, only one, the great high priest can go once a year. And then uh, just, just outside of that, you get a place where only priests are allowed. And then you've got a place where it's like the men are allowed, but the women aren't allowed. And then you've got a place where men and women from Israel are allowed. And then you've got this great big place called the, the Court of the Gentiles where non-Jews could come. But they were crowded out because the Jews set up shop in the only place in the temple that was open to non-Jews. So the Gentiles got crowded out. The Jews were being self-exalting and exclusive about their relationship with God. Um, but uh, and this describes sinful human beings. But God indicated that, you know, with regard to Jonah, it was right and good. For him to be gracious, not just to his special people, Israel, but even to their enemies. Even to their enemies. who were very wicked people in Nineveh. And he suggested that actually Jonah should have a different attitude about that prospect. About his enemies coming to receive God's blessing and, and know him and be forgiven. Jonah should have a different attitude than he does. 
And Jesus, about the temple, he said that, that the temple was meant to be a place of prayer, a place of access to God, a place for relationship with God. It was supposed to be a place of prayer for all nations, for all nations. And, uh, and he was so zealous for his father's house that he overturned the tables and he drove out the money changers with whips. So if you're a Christian, maybe you can see this, um, this dynamic at work in yourself. Maybe you've been reluctant to do evangelism. It's pretty basic stuff. Pretty basic to the, the idea of being called to be a Christian and called to follow Jesus and the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. And, you know, just been reluctant. Reluctant to do evangelism or to engage in missions or to support missions. To think about that as central to your life as a Christian or as the church. Maybe you've been upset and resentful when certain people come to faith in Christ. Maybe you've got examples of that where you recognize you know, somebody, some celebrity in the news or somebody that you know personally who becomes a Christian and, uh, and you kind of feel weird about that and you want to make sure that, that they know your rank, that you've been a Christian longer, that you're more mature in the faith or that you know God better. That's a normal experience for God's people. But that's something that you should pray that God would change in you because it's sin. And it goes straight against God's express purposes for blessing you. Derek Kidner has a commentary on the Psalms that I uh, refer to a lot. He says, He is our God, but He is not ours to monopolize. He's not our God over and against everybody else. Our enemies, maybe. He's not our God to the exclusion of others. He is God of all the earth. And he will be the God even of our enemies. And that is good news. And we should sing for joy and be glad about it. See, here's the thing. The essence of the blessing that we're asking for here is a relationship with the gracious God by his grace. And if God is truly gracious to you, and if God blesses you and makes his face to shine upon you, he's making himself known to you really, really making himself known to you in such a way that, that you would delight to share him with others. You'd delight to share what it means to be in a relationship with this God with other people. You don't look to this God and you're amazed by his grace, except when you're thinking about other people. Only for myself. If you're amazed and captivated by this God and his grace, it'll just be the kind of thing that you'd enjoy to share with other people. You'd, you'd be glad and sing for joy. If you truly enjoy the, the real blessing of knowing this God, this triune God, who reveals himself through Jesus, then your joy will be made complete by making him known to others. So that's what C.S. Lewis says in this uh, rather long quote that's in the beginning of the bulletin for you. <clears throat> I, I think I'm supposed to apologize for long quotes, um, but there it is. It's really good, so I'm going to read it. And uh, you can follow along. Hopefully I don't lose, lose you. The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. We delight to praise what we enjoy. Because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment 
It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. If you enjoy the God who makes himself known to you by his grace in the scriptures and the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're going to love participating in his mission to make himself known to others. You're going to love that. And in case that seems like an intimidating, daunting prospect, this idea of actually doing evangelism or participating in, in God's mission in the world, if that seems intimidating to you, let me just boil it down. We're, we're just talking about what we love. You do that all the time. We're just talking about the one that we love most. We're just talking about Jesus. That's it. That's really it. Please don't think of evangelism as uh, needing all kinds of... You've got to read all kinds of books and prepare yourself and study and arm yourself to enter intellectual battles and win arguments with unbelievers. I don't know if that even works, if you could do that. That didn't work on me. Please don't think that you are responsible for building an entire biblical worldview from scratch inside somebody else's head. You can't even do that for yourself. You're not responsible. Evangelism is not building a worldview inside somebody else's head, starting from scratch, because they've got no biblical categories. I have a very simple picture in my head when I think about evangelism. When Jesus walked the earth, he often attracted large crowds. And they would follow him on the dusty roads and through the countryside. So just in my imagination, I have this picture of being in a dusty Judean road, going through maybe a little village, uh, being part of that large crowd, somewhere way in the back with the stragglers, the really disorganized bunch. And as we walk through a village where people don't really know what's happening, they may be a bit intrigued, they're seeing something else is, you know, happening here that's out of the ordinary. They don't know because they're just seeing this, this ragtag bunch of stragglers at the back of the column. I just grab someone and ask them, have you heard of Jesus? Have you heard the things that he says? Do you know what he has done? Do you know what kind of person he is? Do you want to meet him? We could catch up with him together. I mean, that's it. We're just introducing people to the most captivating person who's ever lived. Who just so happens actually to want a never-ending relationship with people like us, as hard as that may be to believe. We're just introducing people to Jesus. We're just saying what's true about him, what it's like to have a relationship with him by his grace. We're just proposing that everyone be surprised by the joy of knowing him. It is pretty simple. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you, judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. The the gospel that we proclaim is full of remarkable surprises everywhere. At every turn, there's a surprise worth mentioning. For instance, uh, again, C.S. Lewis, um, he has a, a little book on the Psalms. 
This is where that comes from. But uh, he says, judgment, that's what's in here in verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity. He says, judgment is apparently an occasion of universal rejoicing. People ask for it. That, that doesn't seem right at first. That's like uh, counterintuitive or against our cultural sensibilities asking for judgment, right? Well, you might assume you know, or you might think that you know, that the idea of God as judge is bad for you. And every time you hear that, God is judge. God is a righteous judge. You might think, ooh, that's, that's kind of scary. I hope that's not true. You might think you know. You might assume that you know. But when you come to know God, as he really is, because he's been gracious to you and blessed you and made his face shine upon you, really revealed himself to you, then you come to see him as the just judge that the world needs desperately, that you need. And you find peace in submitting your life to his judgment. And when you start to think his judgment is better than yours, there's real peace there. You find relief in committing all your relationships. Anything that you've ever done, anything other people have ever done to you, you commit all your relationships and your whole life and this whole world to his just, just judgment, you find relief and peace and real joy. And it's, it's a surprise. You don't think that's going to happen before you become a Christian. You might assume that having God as your king is a really oppressive thought. I'd rather not have a king. I'd rather not have anybody ruling over me, telling me what to do. Autonomy, that's one of our prized cultural values. You might assume that having God as your king is an oppressive thought, but when you come to know God as he really is because he's blessed you and gracious to you and made his face shine upon you and really revealed himself to you through gospel, then you come to trust his sovereign rule over the whole world that he unbelievably is able to arrange every moment of your life and this whole world for your good. He's able to arrange every moment for your good, and he guides you. He guides you into a deeper and more glorious knowledge of himself. And what could be greater than that? That's his express purpose. When you come to know God because he's been gracious and he's blessed you and he's made his face shine upon you, you rejoice and you sing and you praise him for his saving power, like it says in verse 2, right? How he has taken on our own flesh. Why would he do that? What kind of God does that? He's taken on our own flesh. He's taken on all of our infirmities, our weaknesses, even our sin upon himself. Even though he never sinned, he took it upon himself and he took the condemnation that we deserve in order to reconcile us to himself and give us the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Surprise. When you come to know this God who has given himself to you in this way, well, then I think it'll be more difficult just to see yourself as like a receptacle of his blessing, like a terminus of his blessing. You'll start to see yourself more as a conduit of his blessing to others. You really get to know him. I think that happens. He makes that happen as a, an answer to prayers like this. And you'll rejoice. You'll rejoice that he engages you to participate in his own mission. The thing that Jesus came into the world to do as he was sent by God the Father, that very same mission, making God known, you get to participate in that? It has eternal ramifications. 
He'll rejoice. This is, after all, uh, how he has always worked in his creation. He starts with pretty much nothing. That means you and me. He starts with nothing, and he goes really big. He can do that. He's the one that does that. He can do that. He took a pair of human beings in the garden. He blessed them, told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth as they took his creative love and reflected it. They totally botched that. They did. They, they totally botched it. But what was he able to do with that? When he came into the world, Jesus, he looked at a small band of disciples, motley crew, and he said, look, I tell you, look, lift up your eyes. See how the fields are white for harvest. I'm going to do that. And you can, you can participate. The earth, I mean, God made the earth out of nothing. And it's really big. The earth is doing exactly what he's always intended it, it should do. Even though we've ruined it, it's still doing it. Because of God bringing forth a harvest and multiplying and giving increase. Right? This isn't just agricultural um, uh, I mean, it is. It's like an agriculture. It's like a metaphor, right? You find it in verse six. It's a, it's a metaphor for God's purposes. It's not just talking about hey, when the earth brings forth forth plants that we planted. Look, it's a miracle and it's awesome. Let's uh, say thank you to God. You should do that. But it's it's a metaphor for His purposes coming to fulfillment through His people. That He's blessed in order to make a blessing in all the earth. Be fruitful, you people. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. His plans, his work, his ways, they're bearing fruit in the world. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. In Jesus Christ, God has brought forth life out of death. That's his way. Increase and multiplication that just won't stop out of, out of little to nothing. That's his way. He can even conscript people like us who are selfish and jealous about his blessings, who are resentful about the sheer graciousness of his grace and want, want his blessings just exclusively for ourselves. He can conscript people even like us and bring us into the great work of his harvest. And he can make himself known to you. He can make himself known to you and cause you to delight in making him known to others. And he could do really big things even through little old you. He can, he can do it. He's the God who blesses like that. He even says, I'll make you a deal. You ask, I'll do it. Praise the Lord. So let's ask. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you've made yourself abundantly clear about who you are and what uh, the nature of your um, intentions toward us are, your, your relationship uh, with us. It begins and it ends and it entirely consists of blessing. You do all things in this life, uh, in, in this world, in the circumstances of our life, uh, in order to bless us. And uh, in so many ways, that doesn't make sense to us when we read our circumstances. We're prone to read them wrongly. We pray that you would help us to read uh, your revelation about yourself rightly and then read all the circumstances of our lives in light of that in light of your clear revelation of yourself to us as our God, 
our King, the one who blesses us and is gracious to us and makes your face to shine upon us. You gave your son Jesus Christ for us. What kind of God does that? It's the kind of God who rules over all things for the good of your church. We pray that you would convince us of this, that you would make yourself known to us in a way that causes us to delight in being caught up in participating in your own mission in the world, making yourself known to others and yet yet more others. We pray that the people in our lives would come to know you even as we have come to know you in a baffling way, but as a gift of your grace. It's baffling that you'd want to be with people like us, and yet you came into the world for that very purpose, and you laid down your life for that very purpose. You gave us your spirit for that very purpose, to be with people like us and to make yourself known to us. So we pray that your, your ways and your saving power would be known in all the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.